Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, mom, Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, we can't get fooled again. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? This is Benjamin Grant Kissel the first, along with Travis Morningstar. Yes, let's do a bottle check. So it looks like Ben, you got your I got com- I got kombucha. my kombucha, folks. This is a uh, this is all changing for me. You know, um, I'm trying to be a healthier, better Ben. And the first step in order to being a healthier person is switching to drinks that don't taste good. And that is why I am on the tip, the kombucha tip. Although I'm going to say, full disclosure, this is organic Brew Doctor Kombucha Super Berry, Super Berry, and it is actually not super good, but it's not bad. So I'm going to say kombucha, I'm going to give it a flying C, which you know what my mom used to say? C's get degrees, and kombucha just graduated from the, with, not with honors, but they graduated from the University of Ben Kissel's Taste Buds. And I have to believe that if you had supported kombucha so avidly in the in the race for Brooklyn Borough President, yes. you would have got the kombucha contingency of Brooklyn. I could have done it. I mean, I also, it was 98.6% of the vote that I really kind of missed out on. Um, and all, perhaps, kombucha, all kombucha drinkers. All kombucha drinkers, no denying that. Also, the documentary, by the way, that we're making for the uh, BK for BK campaign, which was an absolute blast. Um, Hail Yourself America, that's what it's going to be called. It's a it's a short, just 40-minute long 40 documentary, minutes. and that should be coming out uh, in early July, hopefully around July 4th, Whoa. right after we get back from Australia. Also, a quick show note, after Australia, Marcus has said, he said, I have enough time now, Ben. I'm done writing the book, and I am finally free to do the show again. So Marcus Parks, We'll be coming back. And, of course, Travis, you are always the replacement for Marcus whenever Marcus has the desire to, you know, write another tome, write another 400-page book. And then we'll have it's you right more, back here. more time for me to work on artisanal kombucha. <laughs> Thank you. That's perfect. And, of course, we can't wait to see everyone in Australia. Perth, get those tickets. Uh, Sydney, Adelaide, Brisbane. Uh, what's the other one? I always forget one of them. Melbourne. Maybe Melbourne, yes, absolutely. We can't wait to see everyone there. It's going to be a hoot. Uh, this show is also going to be a hoot. We, a little bit later on, we got my boy, Saman R. Bobby. He is going to be joining me. He runs the Iranian Daily Show. He works for the U.S. government, technically. Fascinating, man. 
Um, he really was part of the green revolution that took place in the, uh, what was it, 2011, mm-hmm. 2012 time. In Iran, he was on the front lines of that revolution. At one point, he was the second most wanted person in Iran. There was a fatwa on his head. I believe the fatwa stands because once you go fatwa, you never go back. So I'm fairly certain he is still dead to rights if he ever enters Iran again. He will be on a little bit later on here just to talk a little bit about what's going on with Iran, U.S. relations uh, with Israel. Jared Kushner has obviously been over in the Middle East. And just like Jimmy Carter, he is solving the peace process. He is solving the conflict between the Palestinians and the Israelis. And he's got a peace process in mind. He's got a peace plan in mind. And dare I say, no way it's not going to work out. Of course, a little bit different than Jimmy Carter. Jared Kushner is pushing for more of a one-state solution uh, regarding the Palestinians and the Israelis. For the longest time, for many decades, the U.S.'s foreign policy has been the two-state solution. So it's interesting, Kushner kind of uh, changing the way that U.S. uh, addresses the conflict uh, between the Israelis and the Palestinians. And you know what? Who is better? Who has a better pedigree to really tackle this probably the most difficult foreign policy predicament in American history when it comes to us trying to solve a situation using diplomacy, um, because obviously we can solve issues using bombs. We've done that fairly well and then somewhat not so well in the past. But he wants to use diplomacy. The U.S. wants to handle this in a diplomatic fashion. And uh, who better to handle that than a 37-year-old, you know, son of a billionaire who runs a business? I mean, it makes all the sense in the world. Nonetheless, uh, we will be talking about that with Saman, and again, we will be discussing what's going on with Iran. Obviously, the folks over there not doing great. Um, A lot of money is um, being spent on military right now. Not a lot of money going to um, farmers and going to people in the urban livers, people who live in... They're getting squeezed. They're getting squeezed. Everyone from the farmers to the folks in the cities are getting squeezed over there, and uh, Iran is... Because of that, having uh, a lot of public outcry because the public is a little bit sick of being treated horribly by their government under the guise of terrorists being the number one concern. When in reality, I think for the most part, people always say the number one concern is like, can I eat today? Um, So if you don't have a country that's well fed, you have a country that's very unstable. And as we see in Venezuela, that is going to lead to bloodshed. Well, that's exactly what the U.S. government wants. So great. They want want the sanctions are there to strangle strangle the uh, the economy and cause an ins- right. in- insurgency from within. So. Absolutely. And of course, the Ayatollah is uh, never hungry. You know, the, the people in power are always fat and fed. It's always the people. It's always the people that suffer at the hands of these uh, horrific, horrific policies. So we're going to talk with Saman about what's going on over there. But first, let's do a little bit of news here. Um, Joe Biden, obviously, he's that he, they call him the front runner. Uh, Because, you know, obviously he's polling quite high. Um, He actually found himself in trouble with an issue this week. 
And now this is an issue that he has actually supported for a very long time. This is a, a amendment that he has been an advocate for since basically since its creation in 1976. And what I'm referring to is the Hyde Amendment. So what is the Hyde Amendment exactly? Basically, it is a uh, federal banning of funding for abortion. So more precisely, it basically just says... Um, Medicaid will not pay for an abortion unless the woman's life is in danger or the pregnancy resulted from rape or incest. The amendment was named after a former representative, Henry Hyde. This dude was a Republican. He came from uh, the beautiful state of Illinois where political corruption does not exist at all. Um, Henry Hyde, Republican out of Illinois, he first passed the bill in 76 as part of an appropriations bill for what is now the Department of Health and Human Services. Uh, Medicaid is a joint federal and state program, and states can cover abortions with their share of the funds, but most don't. So who is going to be affected by this? Um, and why did Joe Biden, a man who was a staunch proponent, as of a month ago, a staunch proponent of the Hyde Amendment. He has always voted in favor of it. He has said he's an advocate for it. And obviously now we're dealing with a different America in many ways. Uh, Alabama, Louisiana, Georgia, uh, Missouri, these extremely unconstitutional and extremely far overreaching anti-abortion legislation that's being passed. The Hyde Amendment is really not something you want to be in favor of, specifically when still it's not over yet, folks. I mean, everyone's like, oh, he's the front runner. It's all done. He's already running a general election campaign, and he really is already running a general election style campaign, right. not even mentioning uh, his Democratic counterparts, not going to California for the Democratic meeting there or for the uh, Democratic whatever conference mm -hmm. uh, that they had over there. So he's just trying to stay above the fray. But as soon as he said, he reiterated, like, I like this Hyde Amendment thing. I always have. He gave a massive target. He painted a big old target all over his body. Um, he was like John Candy in Summer Rental. Totally sunburned, completely red. Everyone knew exactly where he was and how to hit him. So because of that, he politically made the right decision to say, okay, we, I'm not going to be in favor of this Hyde Amendment any longer because... The people that are most affected by this are groups of mostly uh, minority women, um, a lot of you know poor folks who can't afford uh, to fund their own abortions, things mm -hmm. like that. So according to a 2009 literature review, this is by the Guttmacher Institute. Wow. The Guttmacher. You got well, he really, he really hit it hard. <laughs> <laughs> the Guttmacher, it's probably Guttmacher Institute. I'm going to go with Guttmacher Institute. So this is what it says regarding the Hyde Amendment and how Medicaid, what funding for abortion through Medicaid looks like and how it would hurt certain people. So they say approximately one-fourth of women who have Medicaid-funded abortions instead give birth when this funding is unavailable. And so that is crazy. So one fourth of the women, when this is taken out of Medicaid, when they cannot finance an abortion, have the child that no doubt they probably can't really pay for right. nor take care of. And of course, I mean, I love, 
you know, all children, you get into the foster care system, we have to improve all of these things. We need more safety nets for the children that are born in these situations. And again, we have to remember these people who, um, you know, don't have access uh, to reproductive uh, procedures uh, or just a clinic to go and speak with a doctor about possible options, whether it be keep or whether it be abort, whatever it might be, they need to have choice. That is the whole point is choice. It, I mean, that's the one thing with the pro-choice, pro-life argument. Pro-lifers are going to be like, they want the death of a baby. And it's like, the choice. So you right. have options. Right. So you could keep the baby. You don't have to keep the baby. Whatever. Or the, uh, you know, the um, fetus. I mean, you know, it's it's very interesting. But it's, it's funny to me, that, speaking of how Biden is sort of not even acknowledging his his uh, running can the other candidates in this uh, in this race like he it seems like his campaign is a bit on uh, autopilot and all he has to do is make these sort of small corrections right uh, you know whenever his campaign campaign manager is like hey you might want to like just fix that and just keep keep going don't even make any big policy uh mm-hmm. suggestions or don't even acknowledge uh, any of the other people running it's like when we were in portland and we were in an uber leaving a show oh yes and we we're in the uber this is an electric car I remember, and the driver was really talking a big game about about the uh, self driving self driving car. Yeah, and then you insisted, "Let's that, see how this let's thing see self-drives. how this self drives," and it did not exactly work out. No, it was as, just cruise control. It was just cruise control, and you really were trying to get him to like take a nap in the front seat. <laughs> <laughs> I was because he's like bragging about it being self driving. We were going over a bridge. And I'm like, get those hands off the wheel, brother. Let's see how the this self drives. The car knows that we're on a bridge and that there's a cop in the distance. It's yeah. like the car knows all of this, right? It should. And then it didn't. No. So he like had to really, he really braced himself and then like took the wheel. But you were really, uh, you were really brave in that in that moment. I, hey, man, I commend you. I just wanted to see how good this robot was, and let's be honest, it did not do the job. But it, it failed. seems like it seems like Biden's campaign is probably I'm better cruise control than that electric car than well absolutely well in this case to go along with that analogy i do think it was right for joe biden to take the wheel and correct the message because if he would still stand by the hyde amendment let's not forget the democratic party platform says no we don't want this hyde amendment anymore let's repeal this thing we're done with the hyde amendment so it would be a little counterintuitive on many levels for joe biden to make this the hill to die on. So I think he made the right political choice. Yeah, he just buffing, uh, to say, buffing out these small little dents and just right. sort of like going with the flow. And I also don't think this is going to be because initially I heard him. I initially heard, uh, you know, Joe Biden kind of sticking to his guns on this. I think not realizing, you know, where the mood of specifically in this case, the Democratic Party is specifically on, again, reproductive rights because the full on assault happening mostly in conservative states, extremely conservative states. So I don't think he quite realized that, like, this is really going to rub people the wrong way in the primary. And it seriously, I think, would peel away quite a bit of his support. So rightfully, he corrected, grabbed the wheel and got the car back on track. Joe Biden, of course, is a man who is pro-life. He always said that he is pro-life. However, what matters is how you vote. And he has not voted um, it isn't it's in, be, a, in a way that is uh, counterintuitive uh, to people who are pro-choice. It's going to be interesting to see him do additional things like this as 2020 approaches where he just fi- he just auto corrects and fixes these little minor changes. He's going to be so smooth. He's going to be like the T-1000 in its goopy form. Well, you know, it is interesting. Um, yeah, with him, he's got a lot of the same baggage that Hillary had. 
uh, as well with the Iraq War, the criminal justice, all those sorts of things. But going back just briefly um, to the Hyde Amendment, in a 2016 report, the Charlotte Lazier Institute, which opposes abortion, cited studies showing a 13% increase in births among Medicaid recipients after the amendment was enacted and estimated that it prevented, uh, and this is in their words, it prevented more than 60,000 abortions per year. Prevented is also a nice way of saying outlawed, banned, mm-hmm. uh, forced Childbirth, you know, which I'm not going to be mentioning the handmaid's handmaid's tale here, but it really is an interesting... Ripped life out of the ether and into the corporeal world. You know, and again, we have this double-prong problem in this society, specifically in these conservative states. I mean, you look at Alabama, I believe they have the highest infant mortality rate and the strictest anti-abortion laws... Because they don't have the Planned Parenthoods around, they don't have the facilities to go inform people what to eat, how to treat. If you are, you know, people go to Planned Parenthood, the majority of it is not abortions. A lot of it is um, counseling. A lot of it is like figuring out how to uh, care for a child in the womb, family planning, those sorts of things. So because they just don't have the education, we're also ironically saying a massive level of child mortality. Uh, which you would think if they really cared so much, and I know this is sort of like everyone kind of has this conversation in the bar. I understand that it's not the most unique conversation, but you would think if they really uh, truly cared about uh, the life of an infant, and I think we all care about the life of an infant, they would at the very least have a program put in place that once this child is born, if they are born to a mother and a father or just a mother um, that doesn't have the means to provide for this child, then the state could say, well, we forced you to have this child. So you know what? We are going to put programs in place that help your child, whether that be what my little brother had to do um, with Head Start, a great program for a lot of kids in foster care, whether it be pre-K, free pre-K for parents, because freaking preschool is crazy expensive. My my uh, great buddy is going through all this stuff right now. He's got to pay pay for all the preschool. It's like it's like, are you getting a college degree? Yeah. Like, what is happening? There's so a, there are ways to uh, offset. Then, if you're going to force someone to keep the child, ways to offset the child mortality or at least the continual decline. In just overall fulfillment of life. I mean, yeah. what we're seeing in these states is that people continue to get poor. We, we talk about the wage gap and the wealth gap. You don't look no further than the South when you want to talk about the wealth gap in this country. And of course, ironically, those are conservative Republican run states. There's a there's a great scene in that Hail Satan documentary. Yeah. Where the Satanists are uh, are at a protest and what they're protesting is sort of this idea of like, you only care about the fetus surviving into childbirth and then you basically drop the ball entirely on actually take, helping raise the children as far as like uh, uh, support systems and that kind of thing. And so they have the, the Satanists are all dressed up as babies uh, with fetish gear and BDSM gear. Oh, and, and there's and one of the pro-life people. They look into the camera. And they're just like, we just don't understand what what the <laughs> what the protest is. And the Satanist point being like. Why do you care more about a fetus than an actual child? You know, why, right. why are you not? Why are you not caring more about the actual like uh, 
uh, support programs that sure. might help a child grow right. up and succeed as opposed to a, a, a bunch of cluster of cells. Well, I, I don't recommend babies wearing leather. That'll really... It's a great scene. That'll big, giant, creepy babies wearing leather gear. And, uh, no. and mm. yeah, their point is, why are you fetishizing fetuses? Yeah, you know? I'll, I'll name my kid Right Said Fred, and he'll have a nice tank top on, and he'll be the coolest kid in kindergarten. Um, so this Hyde Amendment, it came into effect in 1976. Let's not forget when was Roe v. Wade passed. Anyone have the answer? Anyone? Anyone? What year? Roe v. Wade? Anyone? 1973. So this is just indicative of how the Republican Party, specifically in this case, uh, and conservatives, and specifically the religious right, they have been chipping, 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 chipping away at Roe v. Wade, at the Supreme Court decision since basically day one for all intents and purposes. So that is why Joe Biden had to switch gears and say, you know what, guys? All right. I have changed my uh, my tune on that. And I will say uh, I will oppose the Hyde Amendment. And again, because we have all of these states taking such extreme action when it comes to uh, reproductive rights, if the federal government has to step in and fund these through Medicaid and Medicare, I say so be it. Also, we have to remember it's not even the religious right is even in conflict with a lot of these laws, mm-hmm. not for the reasons that are you know good, but because they think they're going too far. As a matter of fact, Pat uh, Robertson, this lunatic from uh, from the 700 Club, still alive. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just pure hatred and anger and rage that keeps this little he's actually puddle a, in pants he's a alive. big kombucha drinker. Is so, that right? Yep, he's he's gonna keep on trucking. I believe it. But even Pat Robertson from the Seven Hundred Club said this law. I believe he was referring to the Georgia law in this case. Mm-hmm. He said it went too far because it's simply going to be impossible to pass the uh, to. Uh, get through the Supreme Court. Now, of course, I don't want to don't want to, you know, fear monger or anything here. But the court is very important, as we all know. Mm -hmm. This is not breaking news here. And really, you start you start whittling away. I mean, right now we're down. It's about a it's about a six to three now, you know, five to four on a good day, conservative or liberal. And uh, so it's not a guarantee. So we have to take these things very seriously. And uh, we got to keep on fighting for people's freedoms and people's rights to be in charge of their own body. And if you don't want to get somebody pregnant, have a vasectomy. It's very simple. If the, I mean, honestly, you think about it from the perspective of being on the other foot. If mm-hmm. men got pregnant, not to be, again, another cliche little person here. Or not even if men get pregnant. Who cares about that stupid? That's not happening. So if we did put the onus, onus on reproduction on men... And made every 18-year-old get their get their little, I don't even know what they do. My father got it after I was born. Um, you know, he gets this little tied down there. I don't know, they tie your penis in a knot or something like that or yeah. squeeze your balls with a rubber band. I'm not sure exactly how it happens. They put a bunch of brimstones underneath your balls. Yeah, I don't know. You got coal or you, you put a bunch of coal in your taint. I have no clue how you stop men from being able to reproduce. But you do that and you put men on the front lines of this and that can also start uh, helping and uh, could cause uh, that could also help when it comes to um, taking some of the responsibility away from oftentimes very young, young girls who are in way over their head when they get pregnant uh, for the first time um, or or third time, whatever it might be. Who knows? God knows what happens in the homes of many people, specifically, again, ironically. I wonder how many- a lot of these policies are happening in the South, and uh, it's not a 
total cliche, and obviously this is a bit of an overstatement, but there is sexual abuse, and uh, that happens, not just in the South, but everywhere, but it also seems to happen in, in, in areas that are slightly more patriarchal and slightly more religiously radical. I wonder how many times you can get a vasectomy and, re- and reverse it and keep doing that until your just your junk unspools like a bunch of yarn. Flip it and reverse it? I don't know. My dad had a vasectomy, got it reversed, then did it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why you're so decisive. Yeah. I love it. Um, all right. Well, speaking of children in a different sense, and we're going to get to another story here uh, in the, the very near future regarding Donald Trump. Obviously, we had Memorial Day. We had the celebration of the people who fought on the beaches of Normandy, D-Day. The stories were crazy from that. The news was all over them. And I love hearing from the guy was 96 years old. I love these old dudes yeah. because there's, there's only 4% that are left now, uh, only 4%. So they are literally it's just kind of strange to think about history literally dying in front of our eyes. And at one point, in the very near future, we are going to live in a world where there are no more survivors. Um, so that's kind of fascinating to think about. So I want to talk about uh, Donald Trump. Did he spend all of his time honoring the troops? Did he spend all of his time just bloviating about how amazing American freedom is? No, he also spent a lot of his time um, trying to hide John McCain's naval vessel, a naval vessel that was named after John McCain, the SS McCain. He wanted it hidden so he couldn't see it. But we'll talk about that in a second. I want to read this fan email or listener email regarding our conversation last week about facial recognition in schools, of course, this was a, what's it called? The lock was it Lockport? Lockport, uh, the New lock, York, Lockport, yeah. New York school district. Eight schools. Um, they have spent four point eight schools within uh, this school district. They have spent four point two million dollars because God knows there's nothing else we need to fund when it comes to our schools than facial recognition cameras. This story has made some shockwaves throughout the country. Although, again, I think it should be. Uh, much more, much more widely discussed because we are stripping away the Sixth Amendment uh, on a regular basis. When we talk about chipping away at rights, the Sixth Amendment seems to be fair game for everyone. Mm-hmm. So this is coming in from a listener. Um, and this is, I'll just read the whole email here. He says, he or she says, um, because I actually don't know if it's a he or a she. Uh, They say, I have to send this from an anonymous email because I'm under several non-disclosure agreements. I'm a contracted hardware engineer for a small Bay Area startup that makes home security systems with artificial intelligence similar to Ring, but, quote, smarter. So smarter than Ring, of course, the thing you ring and then you're like, Travis is at the door because, you know, you can't look through a peephole anymore, I guess. Um, So he goes on to say, or she goes on to say, they go on to say, Z goes on to say, Mm -hmm. these cameras have facial recognition, but this isn't advertised as it's, quote, in beta, but it is already running on every system in customers' hands. The system tags people as, quote, undesirable. I'm not kidding. That's what they call the database, undesirable. Does that remind you of China right now? Absolutely it does. When people leave their homes late at night, or have large groups of people come over. So the system, again, just to reread that, the system tags people as undesirable when people leave their homes late at night or have large groups of people come over. Their face is shared with every other system as a, quote, suspicious person when they're in this database. They are also shared 
with local law enforcement agencies, but that system isn't fully working yet. They want to sell access to the database to police departments, but as far as I know, no one has bought it yet. Um, I thought this. I thought with all the stories about facial recognition, this might interest you. It absolutely does. And of course, the police, they will be buying it ASAP. They're not buying it because they have some moral concern. Yeah. They're buying it because they might not have the funds uh, yet, or maybe they haven't gotten through the 1033 program. So thank you so much for spe- for sending me that email. That just reminded me, have you done that thing yet? A lot of people on Instagram are doing this where you can go into your security uh, section of, of your Instagram profile and look at the ads that you are being like the the subject matter the, of ads that you are being. No, sent I to. haven't done that. I didn't so know you could. I, I just looked at mine. So it basically, it breaks it down into ad interests. Okay. You can go into your data and you can check out what exactly advertisers on Instagram think about you and All right. what, what what kind of content you want to be shown. All right. Who, does, some who does Instagram think Travis Morningstar is? Uh, these are just these are just. I'm reading it from this list. Okay. Jerkin. Jerkin. Funk. Tulip. Antique. Japanese hip hop. Pokemon, okay. Uh, color, just the concept of color. Skateboarding companies, California reality shows. These are the things that. What's it, jerking? Jerking with a an apostrophe at the end. So it, it is very whatever that means. It is very deliberate and very. Are uh, you looking at like porn? I on don't. There? Pay, I really. I, I don't know what jerking refers to. And then funk is right below it. So maybe this is a type of. Japanese hip hop genre that I'm into or something. You uh, gotta find find that for me on my yeah, Instagram. Here, me, here. We'll do that. And I'll just talk about this story real quick. So basically, as Travis finds who I am according to Instagram, I'm actually quite nervous about this. <laughs> yes. um, uh, who knows what it's gonna say? Um, but John McCain, obviously R.I.P. Speaking of you know people to think about on Memorial Day. I mean, regardless of politics, whatever you might think, uh, the man did spend five years in the Hanoi Hilton, and it was not nearly as nice as a Hilton. Donald Trump, just the forever petulant child, has demanded that the military cover up the USS or the SS, whatever the hell it is, uh, McCain. Now, this is just another indicator that that Donald Trump's head is not in the right place when it comes to the responsibilities of being president of the United States, because if he wasted one percent of his mental bandwidth on wanting to cover up McCain's naval vessel, that is one percent too much. So stories like this, you know, it's more of just another example of the character that is in the Oval Office right now that is under the golden hair, that belongs to the mind that is between the skull, that is in the brain of Donald Trump. The character that is Donald Trump is just nonstop uh, petty and nonstop uh, looking for any way possible to, you know, again, play playground politics. Guys, it's getting to be that time of year where the combined forces of allergy season and pollution really plays havoc on my sinuses. If you suffer from allergies like me, you know how difficult it can make day-to-day life, which is why I'm so excited about today's sponsor, Molecule. Molecule has reinvented the air purifier to destroy airborne pollutants, including allergens, viruses, bacteria, gaseous chemicals, and mold. 
And well, you can blame pollen for a lot of runny noses, watery eyes, and sneezes. Seasonal allergies are largely caused by proteins that break off of pollen. Although less visible, these allergen proteins can cause huge problems and easily pass through traditional air filters. What sets Molecule apart is its breakthrough technology that destroys these tiny particles. By using photoelectrochemical oxidation, Molecule doesn't just collect air pollutants, it destroys them on a molecular level, completely removing them from the air you breathe. When you turn on Molecule, you're creating the purest air possible, combating allergy season by destroying the allergens in your home. Did you know the traditional HEPA filters haven't been updated in 70 years? The day-to-day -day air purifiers we depend on were invented way back in World War II. You don't use 70-year-old technology for anything else in your life. Shouldn't you use a modern solution to combat your allergies? And people who suffer from allergies love their molecules. Molecules technology has been personally effective and verified by science, but more importantly, it's been tested by real people like me. I've really noticed the biggest change when I sleep. Instead of waking up feeling groggy and congested, I now feel more energized and no more morning sniffles. Molecule has been called the apple of air purifiers, and it's easy to see why. Not only is its technology revolutionary, but the unit itself looks sleek and modern, a contemporary aluminum tube shell that's sure to complement any room in your house. For $75 off your first order, visit M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com and at checkout enter code TOPHAT. That's $75 off your first order at Molecule.com and at checkout enter TOPHAT. All right, so I have the, uh, <laughs> I have the, I guess who I am according to Instagram. Yes, exactly. I got the list here. So ads, interests, and so that's anyway. That's basically all I wanted to say about the McCain thing. It's not the biggest story. It's just another reminder that Donald Trump is a baby boy and uh, whatever. Okay, so these are my ads, interests, and this is the first time I've seen it. <laughs> so uh, it starts off with figure drawing. Yes. So I like to watch figure drawing. Uh, do it yourself, DIY. I like that. Quentin Tarantino. You're a big has, fan. I, I, that's so, I don't think I've ever looked at Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, Apple Inc. Um, Ibenez? Ibenez? I, Ibenez? Uh, the, Ibenez? Gu the guitar. That's a guitar? Company. Yeah, okay. you're, you're big shredder. The Walt Disney Company? What is this These nonsense? Are things that, yeah, they're like, Ben Kissel is all about. The Walt Disney Company. Hollywood is another one. The Republican Party. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. No, that not. Hmm. I just look. I just look at things hmm. on the internet. Grunge, casting, performing, performing arts, poem, desert scene. I'm also interested. I'm also interested in televisions. Uh, I'm also interested in Der Joy Dada. I don't know what that is. <laughs> I don't know it. <laughs> I am also interested in Star Wars. I'm also interested in house music, humor, United States Marine Corps. <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean, Legend, I'm just going to throw this on my Tinder Godzilla. profile. I'm like, Quentin Tarantino, Star Wars, uh, Ibanez, the I Walt don't, Disney Company. I'm a huge fan of the Walt Disney Company. Evidently, I'm also a fan of Rugby League, Tank, which is an American singer that I never heard of, um, Digit Dasanja, don't know who that is, Cartoon, HGTV, Justice League, WWE Network, Sasha Banks, Roman Reigns, the Democratic Party, but of Italy, not of America. Wow. So I'm, I'm nice. a fan of the Democratic Party of Italy, dog type, 
and World Tag Team Championship, WWE. So that's just, uh, and Gold Dust and Conspiracy Theory. Okay, that's ba- Alabama is another one. Border Collie is the final one. So there you go. That's what Instagram sees me as, someone who is concerned with the Democratic Party of Italy, the Republican Party of the United States. I'm also worried about casting. I do like grunge music. Um, I do like, I hate house music, uh, but I suppose I like humor. Um, so there you go. Check that out for yourself. Travis, how can people find that on their own Instagram? Uh, so go to security in your settings, and then uh, it's something like data something, and then in data at the very bottom, it should say add interests. And it's just there. It's just, it's just it's there. It's just what, what, well, what, you, what uh, ads you're being targeted. I'm going to say... With. They got it completely wrong because I like to watch dog videos. Yeah. I like to watch wrestling videos. I don't really watch any political things on social media because none of it's right. Um, I like to watch food. They didn't even have steak. All I do is watch steak videos. Yeah, I've, I've looked over your shoulder and you've yes. been looking at sizzling steak, like steak Absolutely. commercials. I don't look at any nude women on there or scantily clad women. I, there's Pornhub for that. Apparently I do. It's Jerkin is one of my. Yes. I did look up Jerkin like just as a word without the E at the end and apparently it's a jacket. Oh, type of jacket. Okay, interesting. All right, well, check that out and know how you're being marketed to. And uh, I guess understand why everything being advertised to you doesn't really make sense because I don't think their algorithm is working that great. Um, All right, just lastly, before we get to our interview with Saman or Bobby, uh, Donald Trump has said there's a good chance uh, that Mexico can avert the tariffs with a deal that includes purchase of U.S. farm goods. So this is the most recent. Um, Obviously, Donald Trump is saying... He's tying tariffs now to immigration. And let's again be clear, the 5% tariff on Mexico is not a 5% tariff on Mexico. It's a 5% tariff. Uh, It's a tax that the American consumer will feel because it is something that corporations will feel. And then, of course, as we've said a thousand times before, the only thing that trickles down in this economy is the cost to the consumer. So Donald Trump has said um, he said this today on Friday that Mexico may be able to avert the tariffs on its goods by purchasing American agriculture products. Trump had previously said that the escalating tariffs would be imposed starting on Monday. Um, This is according to Donald Trump. He wrote this on Twitter, which I freaking hate having to read. He says, if we are able to make the deal with Mexico, and there is a good chance that we will, they will begin purchasing farm and agriculture products at a very high level. If we are unable to make the deal, Mexico will begin paying tariffs at the 5% level on Monday. The Mexico peso hit session highs following Trump's tweet before edging down. In 2018, the U.S. exported about 19 billion bucks worth of agriculture products to Mexico, making it making it the second largest buyer of U.S. farm-related products after Canada. So it looks as if the tariffs may not be coming in place, and good Lord, they freaking shouldn't. This is also such a horrible way to handle immigration. Like, that's what he, all of this stuff is a proxy war for the immigration battle, and it's just like, okay, bro, can you stop? You know, we have car companies that are saying that they're not going to come over here. They're going to yeah. have to raise the prices. Trump, and- Trump is scrapping uh, Obama-era emissions regulations as sort of just a fuck you. And yeah. uh, car companies are actually saying, no, we want, we actually want to keep uh, up to standards with right. those emission regulations. And because California is saying, if you scrap these regulations, we will jettison our state from 
being a part of the auto industry. You're at the, the Center for Automotive Research estimates that a 5% tariff, now if this still does happen, and it's, you know, it is possible, through the optimism of Donald Trump's Twitter in this case, uh, we don't know if we can really trust it because, again, this man can fly off the handle and Mexico can make a whole series of decisions that they want to make because I do believe this will be a political negative for Donald Trump heading into 2020. So perhaps they want to, and again, it's us that are going to be in the in the tug of war. We're we're just like we're the mud pile, basically. That one person is going to get thrown into, and we're still going to be you know living in the uh, hellacious swamp like conditions. So the Center for Automotive Research estimates that a five percent tariff rate would increase the price of an average new vehicle built in the United States by at least two hundred and fifty dollars. At a twenty five percent tariff rate, U.S. built vehicles prices would rise at least eleven hundred dollars. That's real freaking money mm-hmm. here. At least eleven hundred at a five percent tariff rate, and at least five thousand four hundred if the tariffs if the tariffs were ratcheted up to 25%, which Donald Trump has proposed by this fall. Overall, the tariffs would reduce U.S. gross domestic product by at least $7 billion to $34 billion annually and cause the loss of 82000 all the way up to 390,000 U.S. jobs. So that's what the tariffs would bring us. Um, we would lose up to $34 billion annually and potentially nearly 400,000 jobs all to play this proxy war battle, this proxy war regarding the immigration battle. Very interesting. Um, all right, everyone. So now let's get let's put our foreign policy caps on, shall we? Mm-hmm. And let's learn a little bit from my good friend Saman Arbabi. All right, I am here now with Saman Arbabi. He is a uh, former international war journalist. Man, you've basically just like done everything in the world. Um, like liter- literally, Saman Arbabi, are you still the second most wanted person dead in Iran? Uh, I don't think I'm second, but I'm definitely still in the top five. All right, because I think at your peak you were second, right? Uh, yeah, but uh, I think nothing's been issued publicly. Okay, at one point they actually publicly said it. There was a list of people, and you so you had a fatwa and stuff. Uh, I didn't get that far, but oh, that, you didn't. I mean, it wasn't an official fatwa. Like a cleric has has to go and just announce it, kind of like what Ayatollah Khomeini did with Salman Rushdie. Oh, okay. So I, I didn't have like a cleric, uh, you know, put a fatwa on me, but uh, but you would be shot in the head if you went there. Uh, yeah, pretty yeah. much. That's that's enough. I think that's enough. Yeah, I mean, you don't need a fatwa to make that clear. So, <laughs> yeah. so man. I mean, we haven't talked about what's going on in Iran in a long time. And American news media is so, I don't know, just like preoccupied with Donald Trump's Twitter and what's going on with the breaking news, breaking news. Donald Trump tweets again, breaking news. He said something bad about Nancy Pelosi and Nancy Pelosi said something bad about him. And everyone's just like, I know there's real news out there in the world somewhere, but uh, evidently they're all caught up on the TMZ version of television news that has just become so mainstreamed. It is increasingly making us dumber. So let's talk a little bit about what's going on right now in Iran. Obviously, we got John Bolton there. Um, he is a war hawk. He's with the administration, a total right. war hawk. He's like, if we could invade every country, we would. Uh, and, of course, we have Donald Trump, who is attempting to stay with his more isolationist right. um, foreign policy views. 
But now we have Iran. It seems like the tensions between the U.S. and Iran are ratcheting it up. I know the Iranian people are kind of struggling, but just tell me a little bit about what's going on with the U.S. and Iranian relations right now. Maybe broke, break it out macro, and then you can like kind of refine it a little bit. So I would say it's probably that this is the worst. I think this is the lowest since like the uh, Carter administration when we had the hostage crisis. Really? So this is the, the by far the worst because uh, Trump pulled out of the Iran nuke deal. Right. And then, but now you weren't for the nuke deal at first, and now you were more of, of in favor of it. I I, I wasn't uh, in favor of the deal because I knew it would not work because right. the 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 system in Iran is so corrupt and so flawed that I knew that this money will not go to the people. It's going to actually end up feeding the IRGC, the Revolutionary Guards in Iran, the military wing of it, and. It's going to feed into the expansionist policies of Iran. And, okay. And it's exactly what happened. I was a little bit happy the deal did happen because now we can say, I told you so. We tried it. If it hadn't happened, it would be like, see, if we had a deal, it would have been, it wouldn't, it would, things would be much better. But uh, clearly it hasn't been. Iran expanded its military's, uh, military presence in Syria, in right. Iraq, in Lebanon. Things are getting a little bit rough with Israel. So uh, that was the whole reason I didn't want the Iran deal. Okay, but now we're seeing Iran. So you're, or do you think it was a good idea to uh, pull out of it, or do you think at that point the deal was signed? Like, let's just let this ride because it's the closest thing we have to at least getting some inspections. Because now all doors are closed and we're totally disconnected. I mean, from my perspective, the Iran deal, at the very least, we got people in the door now. You know, I think they had a what a thirty day waiting period that where we had to announce that we're coming. So God knows right. they can they can do what they used to do during prohibition, turn the tables over, and you right. know it looks like it's fine dining as opposed to poker. Um, so what do you think about us getting out of it? So there are a couple of things that um, Trump's done that are the reason things are really going horribly right now. He pulled out of the, he pulled out of the deal. Uh, he put sanctions. The, probably the heaviest sanctions we've had, mm-hmm. and he put even more today on on the petrochemical companies in Iran because everything's linked to the government. Basically, it's right. not a free market, and they use that money to feed into their proxies and whatever. Um, and they also, the uh, Trump also put the IRGC, which is the military wing of the Iranian uh, uh, military. He labeled them as a terrorist organization. The military itself, right? So okay. that that's like a, that's 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 never been done before. So what does that mean in practicality? Well, it's very bad because um, if you ever let like for example, let's say we all of a sudden put the Russian military on the terrorist list, mm-hmm. that means wherever they are, wherever they're present. Th- that they're they're considered to be terrorists. Okay, and things can go really wrong if if you do the wrong thing with them. Um, now to say that I, I think it's never been done, and I don't think it's really effective other than just like creating more hostility between the two governments. Right. The Iranian IRGC is a terrorist, pretty professional terrorist organization. They've done a lot of terrorism. Okay, so I I wasn't really hurt and upset by it, but diplomatically, it's it's not a good move. What were some of the things that they have done that would make you think that they're a terrorist group? So right off the bat, the Marine Barrack in 1982 in Beirut, Lebanon, that was done by Iran and okay. Hezbollah, uh, the proxy that Iran ha- has founded in Lebanon. Um, all the IED, I- IED ex- uh, casualties that 
we had in, in yeah, Iraq, Iraq war. Yeah. were all by the Iranians and their proxies. Okay. About one-seventh of the casualties and the deaths that we had in Iraq were done by the Iranians. Oh, wow. Okay. So And so many. Uh, there was a, a Jewish neighborhood bombing in Argentina in 94. That was Iranian. So there's like dozens okay. of, of attacks all over the world. So they're they're now a terrorist group. The sanctions are coming in. You know, it's really starving the people of Iran. What is the leadership now doing to try to contain what has to be an immense amount of discontent amongst the population? So th- here's the thing: like removing the sanctions or putting a new deal on the table is not going to save people, right? Because the system is f- so flawed from from the root. Mm. That it's 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 just deteriorating every year. It's never going to revive and become a, 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 a powerful economy. Because well, then how would they be able to expand into places like Syria and Lebanon when they can't even when the, I mean, don't you have to have a strong base before you try to dip out and go into? They have else? a strong base because they they own basically eighty percent of the economy, Iran's economy, and it's a country of eighty million people. Okay, so whatever money comes in goes into them. And, and what goes into doing. the military. Right, into the military and into the proxies. And it's a very corrupt system. It's sort of like what, what was going on with the with the Soviets back in the day. You okay. The, you had the people in lines of frozen meat mm. uh, standing for two days. I don't days. even think the meat was frozen. But, yeah. Uh, well, if, there, if it was even Oh, meat. they were frozen meat. Uh, yeah, the people in line. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but, to get bread. Yeah. And then you had, you, you know, the, the Kremlin and, and the oligarchs that are now in power or whatever. Well, and I know, uh, so Russia, you know, the when it was the Soviet Union, they spent like 35% of their GDP on military, which was one of the reasons they collapsed. Even the U.S. right now, I think we're still at like 4% of our GDP, and it's like yeah. $700 billion. It's a lot. It's still relatively low when it comes to percentage. What's Iran doing right now? Are they going, do you see shades of the old Soviet Union? It's, as far as spending with military goes, they're not. It's not that much that they're spending all of it into military. It's just a, there's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of mm. nepotism. There's a lot of there's a d- oligarch system sort of put right. in place where they're living in mansions and 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 the whole basically eighty percent of all the income that comes into the country is either going into IRGC, which is the military mm-hmm. wing, or it's going into these uh, religious foundations. That are tax-free, oh, but uh, and without any bidding or any competition, they get big contracts to be, uh, build big buildings, bridges, uh-huh. construction, whatever. Well, okay, it's one of those situations where I see some similarities with the United States for sure. Some of it, yeah, yeah. but at least we have a pretty good economy here. Right. Unemployment's low. Empl- unemployment in Iran is like ridiculous. Like I don't know, like thirty percent. Wow, this, it's really bad. Okay, and uh, so it, 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 it's a to- totally different economical system. And Iran doesn't produce anything, so it relies on on either exporting oil or a foreign investment. But right, it, it's always been a very risk, high risk, shaky kind of investment for foreign countries. So with Iran sort of crumbling from the inside because of the sanctions and discontent, why is the U.S. now? What's the point of our foreign policy, other than the hawkish mustache that is Bolton? What is the point of us putting the screws to Iran right now? See, here's the problem with the United States in the Middle East region completely, like as an entire thing. Um, We've never, ever really had a good, solid foreign policy in the region. That's fair to say. And we don't even understand the region. Every administration that comes, it changes. So we had like the Bush. So uh, uh, 
our policies towards Middle East changes every four to eight years, depending right. on who's coming. While like the Iranian policy has been consistent for 40 years. Right. And they have an expansionist influence because they're from their region. Mm -hmm. They work with their own Shiites and uh, sympathizers of the regime. And United States is a complete foreign country. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you, I, that makes all the sense in the world. If you're in that region, you'll probably trust the Iranian government more than the U.S. Exactly. And that's why, like, for every billion dollars we spent, which goes nowhere, Iranians have to spend $10. Right. Because their money goes a long way than ours does. Right. Uh, that's why they're winning. Like, the winner of the Iran, uh, the Iraq war were the Iranians. The winner of the Afghan war mm. was, were, again, were the Iranians. We're sort of helping them expand in the region. That could is that be, on, and so when it comes to the the ramifications of our foreign policy, it was that a intended consequence or an unintended consequence? It's always so tough to tell what the truth is here. Does the U.S. do they want a strong Iran so we can have a boogeyman? So no. we can, or do they truly want a disabled uh, Iran so that we can have more control in Iraq and Syria? What do they actually want? Because I, think, I mean, who wants? I mean, Iraq is it's a, it's if you get Syria and Iraq, it's not like you're uh, you know inheriting uh, you know right. uh, a trillion dollars. It's you you got a bunch of debt. I think ideally, what they what the United States wants is to have like a, a democratic or at least U.S. friendly uh, governments in the region. That's why we support the Saudis. They're one of the worst you know right countries in the world, but at least they're not saying death to America and they're buying a lot of guns. Right. So I think that's the least we want. I think that that's also what Trump wants. Trump wants, he doesn't want regime change. He doesn't want a democratic, he doesn't care about human rights in of Iran at not. all. He doesn't give a fuck. Right. He, what he wants is at least a US friendly government uh, in the region uh, that he would get credit for making a deal with. Cause you know, he likes right. to make deals with anybody. Yes, whatever the hell that right. even means, but, but with yes. The, with Iran it's a little bit more complicated because you have the Saudis and the Israelis also against making a good deal with Iran. Right, but I don't think Trump really cares at the end of the day what the Israelis or the Saudis think. He thinks about himself, and he wants to make a deal, and he just wants to make a new deal. and And I think if the Iranians were actually, I think what they're going to do is they're going to ride it out and see if twenty twenty comes and this guy's going to be in power. If he is in power, they're going to end up making a new deal with him. And I think this time it won't be uh, favorable for, to the Iranians as much as it was last time because he's taken so much back, and uh -huh. it's not never going to go back to what it was. Um, especially with you know understanding what Iran's been doing in Syria, the threat towards Israel and all that. But if Trump loses, this time Iran's actually going to have a better deal because okay. th then they're going to come back to the table and say, look, we made a deal last time. You fucked up. Right. So this time you better give me a deal and a half right. that this doesn't happen again because it was your fault. So what kind of deal then? I mean, so it seems like right now, you know, before we even talk about deals or whatever, you know, could happen in the in the future. What is going on right now? Is there any chance um, that the U.S. goes back in? I mean, I know Donald Trump was talking about sending some more troops in. Mm, no. um, I think he said six thousand, something like that. What was? Yeah. Is there any chance that we actually have another military conflict in that region right now? I, I would say almost zero. And I think there's so. A, what's with all the bluster then? There's a lot of hype and uh, a lot of fear mongering in the media. 
Trump has created such um, such a, such an environment for the media that everyone's become so hostile towards him that like we were we're constantly hearing terrible and horrible and scary right, things. Right. Everything we're seeing on CNN and Fox or whatever is like against everything you've been taught in right. uh, journalism. Oh school. my god! Of course, all the sound effects ever. But if you're swishing right, I mean, by the screen, it's all, and all the lies. Yeah. But the, to go to a war, it's such a complex thing. Uh, it's so. First of all, to go to war with Iran, we would at least need like close to a million soldiers. Jesus. Because Iran is twice as big as Iraq and it's and land-wise and population-wise, right. it's much bigger and and has a diff- different military. Iran's not a conventional military, but it's got proxies everywhere in Syria, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Yemen, in uh, Lebanon everywhere. So we would we would literally have to fight different proxy wars all over the Middle East. Right. And we would actually and the United States Congress is not going to okay a million troops going there. No. So if like we would even if even if we got the approval, it would be such a long process that we would already see the alarm bells going off, but it's not even close to it. One thing could happen. Though. Okay. A stupid accident could happen, sort of like what the Russians did today with their uh, uh, destroyer. Uh, uh, well, what happened there? A Navy ship was recovering a helicopter from, from the ocean. Okay. And then the Russians all came like within 50 feet of uh, the U.S. Boat. And this isn't the first time that's happened. Obviously, what is they it? Do the it Strait all. of Hormuz and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, where so the, the Iranians, is- exactly. Especially during the Obama administration, they used to do a lot of stupid stuff challenging the U.S. Navy. Right. I think uh, from what Setcom is saying now, Iran has scaled back. They're, they're not doing stupid stuff. So. And by stupid stuff, you like, you know, mines, water, like mines, ocean mines and yeah, stuff like that. Or some or the other issue is like Iranians give arms to all sorts of weirdos in the region. Like, right. So it could be some idiot who gets up in the morning is having a bad day and he just got some new rockets from Iran and his wife had a fight with him last night. He's like, fuck it, I'm going to shoot out a boat. Right. And and kind of like accidentally getting in, getting the United States and Iran into like a, a small little, you know, right. a bar fight. But it's not going to be on a big scale like but an so actual war. If we did do something like that, a small bar fight as described, which I love, what is Saudi's role? What is the Israelis' role? And I want to talk a little bit about what Jared Kushner is trying to do in Palestine and Israel, between Palestine and Israel. But what would their role be if we did have a conflict with Iran like that, regardless if it's a full-on, full-scale war or if it's just a proxy war that's being fought, as we're seeing, that's currently being fought in Yemen and it's uh, obviously devastating? The the, the Saudis are uh, some of the most uh, irrational, incompetent people of like their, their government. Right. Uh, that I've seen in the region. I mean, this whole idea that uh, Bin Salman, the uh, crown prince, is right. a reformer, it doesn't he's seem not. To, he's uh, not. No, he's, he's, he's a young, inexperienced idiot uh, who, who's made some really bad decisions. Like, the, the war in Yemen is a disaster. Right. And it actually was, a, again, a gift to Iran because Iran took advantage of that opportunity. Iran had nothing to do with Yemen. All of a sudden, they realized, oh, shit, the Saudis are spending a lot of money and doing some bad stuff in Yemen, mm-hmm. and I can spend like a tenth of what they're spending, right. and get them in a in a in a long, long, stretched out, terrible war that's going to cost the Saudis a lot of money, and that's exactly what's happened. Interesting, and they're able to do that. The Iranians are able to do that by using these, I guess, for lack of a better word, sub subcontractors. Yeah, I guess they have a lot of them in the region. Yeah. All these uh, Shiite groups uh, in these countries. Um, that have been oppressed by the Sunni governments, the Wahhabis, mainly the Saudi okay. government. 
uh, which is like the big brother in the region, um, they're willing to pick up arms and fight any time. So sure. when Yemen gets messed up like that, all Iran's got to do is send a couple of boats once a month and then uh, with uh, some arms in it, and that's it. It's going to... Saudis can bomb the crap out of it with their fancy airplanes. And so, if as much you're as Iran, want. you don't even care about the collateral damage. You're not; they're not no. technically Iranians, and you're they're doing their job. Well, they're getting they're you're you're bleeding the Saudis slowly. I mean, they're right. spending billions and billions of dollars every month on a on a thing that doesn't look like it's ever going to end. It's sort of like their Vietnam. I mean, it's ridiculous. What's I mean, we don't even talk about Yemen anymore, but it's the number one humanitarian crisis right. in the world. There's more children starving and dying than any other place in the world. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's a nightmare. And makes Iran look like the good guy. That is horrible. <laughs> when you when your foreign policy makes Iran look like the good guy, I think you're doing something wrong. Yeah, they're like, see, you're you're killing all these people. You're bombing weddings and blah blah blah. And and here I am. I'm I'm helping those insurgency. So the Saudis are like, yeah, we're not going to go on, and we're not going to actually have a war with Iran in Iran because we're having a hell of a time right now in Yemen. The Saudis with, with subcontractors of Iran. The Saudis would never even know what to do with these weapons they're buying. They're basically buying these weapons to buy you as a friend. They're buying it from the Italians, the the Chinese now. They're buying it from the Brits, the French, the United States. It's they have a closet full of arms that they're never going to use. It's just they're just have so much money they want to buy you as a friend. Right. But they wouldn't even know how to fight a war. They've never been in a war. Right. They, they don't have a military. They have to contract like the Pakistani soldiers to fight for them. So in the Iran case, they pushed the United States for years, actually over a decade. To to get the Americans fight the Iranians, right, right, but that's so, not going to happen. Okay, so that's Saudi, that's the Saudi Arabia, um, I guess, sort of predicament that they're in regarding Iran and a possible conflict. And now we have Israel. Israel doesn't want a war, and Israel doesn't at all. So no. so there is really no. No. If you're Iran, then you know Israel doesn't want a war. You know the Saudis can't beat they, you in a war, and you know the U.S. for all intents and purposes isn't going to go to war. So, what would be the what is the incentive to get this bad behavior, uh, you know, over to uh, over to better behavior? Like, what do we have? What's the leverage? You know, my was, opinion. Yeah, of me, course, would be uh, United States needs to have a long term plan for the Iranian government and should not flip flop. And do what Obama did, basically give him a green light to move into Syria. Obama basically said, "Look, don't make don't make a nuclear bomb, and you can do whatever you want in in the region," sure. which was a bad deal. You can't do that, and Iranians took full uh, advantage of that. United States needs to have a very long term policy of, I think, the maximum pressure that uh, they're doing right now is actually working. Okay, and continue doing that, and basically. With Iran's only going to change because military uh, intervention is not going to happen. But isn't it fair to say that when Iran went over to Syria, they did kill a lot of what we would consider terrorists? They were working. They, they killed some of the terrorists, but honestly, they spent a lot of time with the Russians killing a lot of civilians and the mm. opposition. Okay. Like the Americans killed more probably ISIS than, than the Iranians and the Russians put okay. together. Uh, they were busy doing a little bit of both, but their main thing was to just destroy the opposition and give power back to Assad. So they were trying to get rid of the opposition. But we were all the Russians, the Iranians and the U.S. all backed Assad. Uh, United States sort of, again, we flip flop. Right. We, we had the red line during Obama with yes, the chemical which, weapons. Which they crossed and, and nothing happened. He didn't do anything. And then Trump is a very pacifist, believe it or not, uh, president. Well, when it comes to foreign policy, yeah. And I don't think he's a pacifist because he feels bad for people. I think he's just a little bit, you know, 
thinks you know he's a little bit superior to the brown people in the region right and he wouldn't want american soldiers to die there and spend a lot of money doing it right he doesn't care so he's actually scaled back uh, a lot in the region and the iranians have taken advantage of it i think what we need to do again like have a continuous form uh, like an actual plan that we're going to fall through for the next few decades uh-huh. and allow the iranian people within the within the country to eventually rise up and overthrow the government because that's that's got to happen so but how would we avoid if we did do that and i want to talk again about palestine and, and uh, israel here in a second but if we did do that if we did arm the uh, civilians if we did not arm feed the civilians i mean but you know what we would do I mean, how do we how do we make sure that doesn't look exactly like what happened in Libya? Because Libya, it was the only African country that was actually has a surplus. Gaddafi, yeah, total piece of crap. We all know that. But you know what? Who's taken over there now isn't any better. How do we avoid having another situation where, okay, well, now we've just destabilized this country to the point where we can't trust them at all. Okay, I I don't like using Libya and Syria ever as like. As an example, I look at Tunisia. Tunisia ended up being great. Okay. It was the first country during the uh, Arab Spring uh, that rose up and actually started, you know, um, had the domino effect across the whole region. So this is like 2009. Uh, 2011. 2011. And, okay. and so Iran would be more like Tunisia, in my opinion, because you have to understand Iran's a very old country. It's been around for 2,500 years. These countries like Iraq, Middle Eastern countries, they're not, they're, they're post-World War One countries. Okay. So Iran's always had a natural border and it's got a very rich culture. So it's not that it's going to end up being like a crazy civil war amongst like these different ethnic groups like it was in Iraq and Syria and, and what happened like in Libya. Libya's a new country. It's not even 100 years old. Uh, Iran is Well, but isn't Iran I mean, I know obviously it's much older than that It's freaking Persia It's one of the oldest civilizations of all time But when they flipped over What was that? The 70s, obviously When the Shah took over 79 But you could almost call it a new country In some ways, right? After Mm. after 79? No, the borders didn't change The government No, I know the government changed though So it's kind of The government changed Because it went from from a Secular monarchy Somewhat dictatorship but right. it wasn't really i mean we had more social freedoms and political freedoms than we we can ever imagine right now right uh to a a, a, revol- a popular revolution that was hijacked uh by the islamists so it was 2009 was the arab spring and then 2011 2009 was the the green the green revolution, revolution in, in iran the yeah spring. and then a okay. year and a half almost uh after the when iran was over with uh, we had the Arab Spring in 2011, and so why? How was Iran able to kind of thwart what seemed to be, as you mentioned, a domino effect happening across the region when it comes to getting democracy in these places? How was Iran? How was the the folks in power there able to sidestep this? What seemed to be, especially in 2011, because I know then farmers were pissed off and people who live in the city were pissed off. Yeah. How the hell did they stay in power when folks were pissed off that they weren't getting enough food and jobs and God knows what else? So to be, things have changed a lot because 10 years ago in 2009 when we had the Green Movement, it happened over fraud and uh, fake elections. Okay. So you had the middle class rising up. Those people were not hungry. So you kill a few of them, they go home. That's what happened. This time is different. Now people, now we're talking about like completely losing the middle class and right. and and poverty rising up. And people, when people get hungry, when they can't provide for their family, 
that's when they they have nothing to lose. They have nothing to lose, and that's when uh, they get more aggressive. Absolutely. So it's a whole different situation. That's why economical pressure uh, will work. And look, I I have the pulse of uh, you know the Iranian population sort of through my social media. Of course. And uh, I have never seen people becoming more pro-war and more anti their own government in the past than really? today. To an extent of hearing that they actually, I'm not speaking for everyone, but people that I'm in touch with, uh, the hundreds of thousands of people on my social media, they welcome the sanctions because they believe that the sanctions uh, lifted will not help them. It's only going to go in the pockets of the the mullahs and the clerics and their families. So I've never seen them so angry and welcoming like a U.S. When, when I say a war is not going to happen, people get pissed at me. <laughs> really? They're, they're but, like, so, I mean, but you're hearing because obviously you're very influential over in Iran. Um, I mean, I cannot wait. We're actually working uh, on a documentary about your life, which will be out. It's a long term process, but it's going to be absolutely fascinating. Um, why don't you think that those people are being earnest or why don't you think they're going to follow through? with their, you know, desires to really start another revolution and get this get these people out of there. Uh it's happening. A year ago we had uh, protests in 130 cities. Okay. And it all happened because of uh economical issues. But are the protests doing anything? Are they finding are are there, are there any results coming from these protests? Are people finding themselves with more food? Well, it's it's they're not finding any more food, but it shows how the government's becoming more and more unstable. And it right. shows that people have given up uh, on the past elections and the promises of reforms and, and better economical uh, reliefs and things like that. People don't buy into so it. So would it be possible if that, let's just say that does happen because the tensions are so damn high. Let's say the civilians do take up arms and are like, we're going to overthrow this government. Would that give an opportunity for someone like a Saudi Arabia? or someone like Israel or, you know, the U.S., would we start going in there and back from back channels financing a lot of this stuff? Would that be a way that we could have an overthrow of this government and support an overthrow of this government? I think not that I'm in favor of it. I'm just saying I'm I just think uh, I, I, I think moral support is definitely something that United States should have done in 2009 when Obama stayed silent. And people were pretty pissed, actually. The, the, some of the slogans were like uh, Obama must or basically using his name, but in Farsi it means, is he with us? Uh. And that's what they're saying. And, and he, 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 sat, he sat on the sidelines and didn't say anything. And people were disappointed. The slogans were in English. Where's my vote? They wanted CNN. They wanted you. They wanted Obama to see these things. Right. And the United States sat back and didn't do anything. Next time, United States needs to be directly involved because if they're not, the Russians and everyone else is already. Right. And they're going to help the oppressor. So I, I, I don't think... Arming people is going to work. I think a, a popular uprising like what happened in, in, in 1979, I mean, eventually they started picking up arms. But when you have like 20 million people in the street, the government, it's a wake-up call for the government. Right. So at that point, they either need to make a big decision about making huge changes, which is never going to happen, or uh, people will, will topple the government. They'll, right. They, I mean, when it's a big country, 80 mil, million people. Yeah. If you have ha- like fifth of it uh, out in the streets that'll that'll do it oh Strikes. absolutely if you put if if the iranians actually organized and they went on like a three-week strike the government would collapse i'm talking about shutting down the governments the schools right the the, the shops just the economy the economy would absolutely just and you think we're it. closer to that than ever before since 1979 uh i think we're we're closer to 
Yeah, I think so because because uh, up to like two three years ago, people still had a hope in reforms and right. these clerics promising reforms. But now the new slogans is like you're both the same. So people have given up on voting. Women do not believe the promises that that were given ever again. So uh, it's it's changed. Uh, pe- the, at this point, the reformists and the conservatives, in the eyes of Iranian people, are are both the same. They, okay. they still represent the same theocracy and the same supreme leader. All right. So that is that seems more likely than ever before, which is I think really fascinating. Oh, Puffin just came in. That's right. Puffin, hello. Are you interrupting the podcast? Yes, I am, Ben. Ben, I wanted to come and say hello to Simone. Okay. And Ben, I had a question for Simone. Okay, Puffin, what's your question? Simone, how are the dogs being treated in Iran right now? Oh, that's actually a terrible question. <laughs> because <laughs> Simone, because they shoot them out in the streets. They shoot the straight they dogs. Do. They shoot oh. them with shotguns. Oh, Simone, that's a terrible, terrible answer I, I didn't to want to question. break this to you. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Puffin. Puffin, I'm so sorry. I hope you don't have any cousins over there. I hope not. If so, I might be able to send them like an invite. Oh, that's a huge bummer. Um, all right. So why are they shooting all the dogs in the streets? Uh, that's how they deal with stray dogs. Oh, come on. Puffin, do you hear that? You better behave. I'll terrible, send you to Iran. Right? I, I'm, uh, yeah, it's ter- I've seen some terrible <laughs> videos where like, are you freaking kidding me? Oh, my God. Yeah. Leave them alone, Iran. Come on. Everybody loves to smell good, but if you're like me, taking the time to shop for cologne can be a real hassle. I know I've gotten into a rut of using the same fragrances I got for Christmas four years ago. That's why I'm so excited about today's sponsor, Scentbird. Ooh, I love Scentbird. With Scentbird, I found an easy way to have great taste without breaking the bank. Whether it's Versace, Gucci, or Dolce & Gabbana, Scentbird.com keeps me smelling good month after month. Scentbird is a luxury fragrance subscription service that helps you mix up your cologne or perfume routine. Scentbird is a great way to discover new colognes or perfumes without having to buy an entire bottle. Scentbird has more than 450 designer brands for you to choose a cologne or perfume from each month. And no matter your style, they have the brands you want. It's the real deal. They carry Gucci, Tom Ford, Kenneth Cole, Burberry, Prada, and more. Not sure what type of scent you're looking for? Scentbird makes it easy to find the perfect fragrance. You can sort colognes and perfumes by brand, occasion, season, style, and more. Check out user ratings and reviews on any fragrance. And once you choose the cologne you want to try, they'll send you a 30-day supply. That's 120 sprays, enough to apply more than four times daily for a month. I got to try Scentbird, and I love their service. I like to smell good, but I'm really bad about taking the time to shop for cologne, and I always seem to get pressured into buying something I don't even really like when I go to the department store. I took Scentbird's True Scent Quiz and got Abbott NYC's Mojave Cologne, and I've already gotten a few compliments. Thanks to Scentbird, I smell amazing! And with an exclusive offer just for our listeners, you can get 50% off your first month today. That's only $7.50 for your first fragrance. Go to scentper.com slash top hat and use my code top hat for 50% off your first month. Again, that's S-C-E-N-T bird.com slash top hat for you to try your first cologne or perfume for just $7.50. Sign on, smell amazing. All right, so Irod seems more 
unstable than it has been since 1979 or 1978, I guess, 79. More unpopular amongst its people, for or sure. Or unpopular amongst its people. So uh, who knows? we got to watch that. And that will totally change the entire region if the people finally do if decide. If Iran to became it a up. democratic country, uh, at least what it like used to look like before 1979 revolution, Israel and Iran could be the beacon of stability in that region. These two right. countries had a tremendous amount of authority. Would Israel want to share that? Would they want Iran to be uh, a democracy? I think it's yeah. I think honestly, yeah, because yep. uh, 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 who wouldn't? Any rational person. Obviously, Israel would not want Iran to become a, a stronger power. military yeah. nuclear power. No one would ever want that because it, Israel's like seventy six times smaller than Iran, right? And it's got a population of nine million people. Iran is seventy six wow. times bigger, and it's got a population of eighty two million. So it's like it's like it's a lot, it's of, a, space. It's a lot of space. But yeah. uh, what it, it was the Shah of Iran that actually opened up dialogue between the Egyptians and the Israelis to bring peace. So Shah of Iran was actually he understood the situation. He knew that the region needs to change, right. and he was leading that uh, at right. the time. Uh, so if Iran ever went back to what it was in 1979 between the Iran Iranians and the Israelis, which have more in common together than the Iranians and the Arabs do, right. the Israelis and the Iranians are, used to actually be much more closer. We've had Jews in Iran for thousands of years. Right. They freed them, you know, Cyrus the Great, blah 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 blah. So we still have a Jewish community in Iran, which you're not going to find in Saudi Arabia or any other country. And are they? I don't know. Are they treated? Uh, uh, they're, they're they're somewhat. I mean, they're, everybody's discriminated. If you're a woman in Iran, you're you're there are laws against being a woman. Well, you were just showing but me a not picture, and we'll get again. I've been teasing this Israel-Palestinian thing forever here, but you were just showing me a picture of a woman dressed up as a man so she could go to a soccer match. Yeah, in uh, in Iran, uh, you, you have to dress up like a dude. Yeah, it's you know, Iran's like a big fake. Uh, theocracy representing itself as a as an Islamic country but it's not because the people haven't accepted it it's been an open society for so many years all of a sudden you can't change it and be like all of a sudden you're Islamic so there are these stupid laws for example this one women are forbidden from going to soccer stadiums Jeez. because the government says it's for your own safety the hooligans they're going to harass you they're going to molest you da, 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 da. but uh that's just stupid, you know. Right. Go fix the guys. You're not gonna exactly uh, for, uh, like ban women from entering stadiums. So what? Yeah, what, we just we want nothing but child uh, child uh, molesters. We wouldn't, you know, if you're a rapist, come on in. Right. Um, because Meanwhile, there's no women like, here. Uh, they brought the, the uh, legal age of marriage for for girls after the revolution, which was 18 to 13 now. So it's like, it's 13. Yeah, it was nine for a hot minute, but now it's Jeez. 13. All right. Because they brought the Sharia law back, and right. that's the issue. Iranians right. will not accept it because it was never part of our culture. And that's a good point regarding Sharia law because we toss that around in this country. Both sides, the Democrats want Sharia law, and then it's that's nonsense. You know, no, I mean Roy Moore no. is the most theocratic candidate we've had in my lifetime, right. and uh, and I would argue he is the closest to actually wanting something that looks like Sharia law. And of course, he did like some to, of to our, hit on those thirteen-year-olds right, as well. Some of our far-right Christians are are straight up. Uh, Sharia law. Yeah, exactly. That's the ultimate Taking irony. the rights of women from, like, you know, yeah. uh, abortion and things like that. That's straight up like Sharia, Sharia law. Exactly. And they're the first ones to be like, this country, Obama's going to make this country a Sharia law right. nation. The We're going to be Muslim Sharia in three law. years. Exactly. All that nonsense. All right. Well, just lastly, so thank you so much. That is absolutely fascinating thank about you. what's going on in Iran. And, um, it's just so interesting to hear. So lastly, Israel and Palestine, Jared Kushner was out there. He's 37 years old. 
He doesn't know anything, dude. The man knows nothing. He doesn't so, know anything. What is he going on? He wasn't even prepared for that interview the other day. No, I saw the interview. I, I, so how, how prepared do you think he is for the Palestinians and the Israelis? The most difficult conflict in our history. In our history. Without a doubt. Okay, All so right. where are they at? Obviously, Netanyahu just getting reelected. If he wasn't reelected, he's probably in lock and He's probably in um, handcuffs, doing a perp walk, like right. legitimately was going to be arrested, most right. likely. Very similar to what we might have here in a, in a year or so. Um, so Netanyahu, very hawkish. He's like, no, man, we don't, we don't like these Palestinians one bit. We're keeping it the way it is. And the Palestinians still sort of, I don't know, enslaved for lack of a better word. Yeah, but they, by also, Hamas. they, they also can't get their shit together. The Palestinians are two factions. You got the Hamas in Gaza ruling and you got the Fatah party, which is the, uh, Abbas, uh, Abbas, right. President Abbas's party, which is more, I guess, Democratic, okay, and they have a combination of Christians. Hamas is straight up Sharia law, right? Uh, but those two can't even get along. When I was when I was there, they they were fighting each other. So right. I, as long as like as long as the Palestinians can't get their shit together between the the moderates and the extremists, and it doesn't seem like it's ever going to happen, mm-hmm. the Israelis were always going to take advantage of the the cracks and the situation, and they're going to turn Jerusalem in, Jerusalem into their capital, and they're going to take as much. Uh, land as they can. Right. So that's it. So obviously, how does the U.S. foreign policy, how's it playing out over there? Obviously, the the capital going to Jerusalem, it's mostly symbolic. No one really died. There was a lot of speculation. Be like, it's going to lead to bloodshed. Nothing really seemed well, to Well, some happen. people died. Some people did die. Some people did die. Yeah. I mean, Jerusalem is a touchy place because that's that's like, that's the center of all the religions. Right. That's, everything's there. The wall's there for the Jews. And every religion. All is the, like, the Christians yeah. where Jesus was resurrected and all right. that stuff is there. And they're literally like within three minutes away from each other. If you go in the middle of Jerusalem, the old town, it's right there. It's and you have the Al-Aqsa Mosque over there. So it's, it's more than symbolic because the war in Israel between Palestinians and Israelis is over religion. Right. Because Israel is a Jewish state and the Palestinians reject living in a Jewish state. Right. So it's more than a uh, more than a symbolic thing. So what is so uh, okay? So more than a symbolic thing. Um, what is Kushner's? It seems to me like Kushner is pushing for a one-state solution. Um, what does that look like? How would that even remotely come close to being possible? What would have to happen? And why the change from? the two-state solution, which seemed to be the only possible solution in the minds of most you know, foreign policy and regional experts. We've come close to having a one-state solution a bunch of times, and it's never worked because it, it either um, Rabin, for example, the poor guy who was assassinated mm-hmm. by uh, extremists. Relatively recently. Uh, it was in the 90s. Yeah. And he, I mean, him and Arafat. I remember that. Yeah, they, they were, that was the closest we've ever been. Yep. And then Arafat later on pulled out because it, it, it wasn't... Man, this is like bringing me way back to what laying on my tummy watching the nightly news when they were still... Listening to Nirvana. Cable news. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the, it's not a, a one-state solution. is not a new idea. It's been floating around for a while. And the right. closest we ever got were much tougher guys and smarter guys than Kushner. And we had Clinton. We had Rabin. We had Arafat. They all. We had Camp David. It was all happening at that time. Right, right now, it's. It we're not. The, the 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 conflict is so hot that there's. I don't see anything like that. So what's what's the what is the what is the U.S. right now? What where are we as a nation? What are we trying to do? Well, I mean, no one. Tr- look, United States isn't really trusted in this game right now. Not even from Israel's side. Uh, from Israel's side, uh, their trust not for a one-state solution. From okay. Israel's perspective, I think. 
they're going to take advantage of the Trump administration to get as much as they can. They annexed Golan Heights. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Jerusalem became the capital city. Mm -hmm. And uh, they can claim as much territory as they want. I think right. that this is the best situation as far as like the right-wing Israelis ever But when have we hear one-state solution, is it possible that the... What would that? Okay, can you just tell me what would a one-state solution? What is that even called? Is it still called Israel? I, is it called Palestine? What what, what yeah, we call this new area? Uh, well, they would they would say just that alone is almost impossible to figure out. The Palestinians will never accept a one-state solution because that means one big Israel. Okay, so that's it's not going to be one big Palestine. That's for no, damn sure. The two-state solution was to have a Palestinian and a and an Israeli um, two states thing. But the the weird thing is if you look at Israel. West Bank, which is actually on the east side, okay, it's it's by the border of uh, Jordan, is on one side, and Gaza is all the way to the southwest of Israel. So mm -hmm. it's literally two different locations; they can't even connect to each other in Israel. So I don't understand how a, a two-state solution would work when you have two different places. And plus, Hamas in Gaza doesn't accept any solution other than the destruction of Israel completely. Okay, so, so that's, that's kind that's, of a... That's a, not going to bring anybody... no to, deal. That's kind of a deal breaker right, right there, Right off the bat, you know this is not going to work. And, and they have the arms. They're, they, they are the real resistance in the region. So does, does Abbas, does the uh, Palestinian government... I know that you said they were fighting before and things like that, but do they also use Hamas a little bit as their own military? Do, does Hamas do some of the dirty work? Hamas is for, all the dirty for word. the Palestinians. So, yeah. some in, to some degree, the Palestinian yeah. government's like, yeah, you guys are crazy, well, Sharia law, but at least you're killing some of our enemies. At the end of the day, the Fatah, the moderate party of uh, Abbas, uh, he can't really come and criticize the Hamas anyway. Well, he'll get his ass killed too. Uh, but well, I mean, uh, yeah, it's dangerous for him, and also politically, it's 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 bad for him because criticizing or condemning Hamas for its terrorist activities basically says that you're pro-israeli okay. it's, it's kind of it's very difficult as a palestinian to right. go on top of a you know a, a, a building and start saying you know hamas is a bad uh, a bad actor in the region and uh, you know we condemn this these act. are just like such human predicaments because the the human mind is relatively binary in thinking and it is funny to be like, oh, you don't like Hamas, you must love Israel. Right. You're like, no, it's more nuanced because than that. And by the time you, before you're done with the sentence, you got a bullet in your even head. Even a terrorist Palestinian organization is still Palestinian. So right. Abbas can't really publicly, even if he, deep down in, in his bedroom, he thinks like Netanyahu's a better guy than the Hamas guys are. He can't really come out and say it. Absolutely. I mean, even on this country, it's funny. We were just over in Vancouver, and there were a lot of people criticizing Trump and stuff. And I'm like, I, I agreed with the vast majority of it. Some of it uh, was unfounded by policy point of view, but that's a whole other nerdy. It's thing. sort of like what the Republicans do with Trump. They, exactly. Whatever he does, they're with him. They're they're with them. Right. And but when we were in Canada, they were dissing on Trump naturally. And there was a part of me who were like, that's our guy to diss. All right. He's See, a, he's our right. guy. You're you got your own problems. Right. But at the same time, it is it is just funny to think about like just sort of loyalty that is ingrained. local patriotism, local type of patriotism. Thing, right. even when they're right in criticizing one of your guys, it's still you hard. Still, to, you're still carrying the flag. Yes, you're still like, well, at least he's you know, so what, at least he's our guy or whatever. You, you can't make fun of him. He's us. Yeah, it's it's very complicated. That I I like when I was there, I talking to both. He's ours to make fun of, brother. Both yeah. sides of the the groups, the Palestinians and the Jews, um, the uh, they didn't believe that they never they didn't see. A solution to this conflict in their lifetime. When Kushner walks in the room, what's the reaction? 
I mean, are they just like, who is this? What did, get this guy a sandwich? Why is this child in here? Is it is the intern uh, taking the meeting? What's happening? I, I think it depends. I think I think the Palestinians are just looking at like a kid, and they know that this like they can't do anything with this guy. And I think Netanyahu sees it as an opportunity to manipulate and do whatever he's got to do. Because right. I, I mean, Netanyahu, it's fair to say, and I got criticism, you know, Omar, um, Representative Omar uh, here in uh, in the U.S., uh, she was criticizing Israel. And I was trying and I and I discussed this on the show where it's like you can criticize the government of Israel. It does not make yeah. you anti-Semitic. But uh, as far as Netanyahu goes, I am not a fan. Never have been. Never will be. I thought Herzog should have won in 2012. And the dude that he was running against here. What was the name of the dude he was running against in, uh, in 2016? I'm blanking on his name, but either way, he seemed like a relatively uh, moderate dude okay. who was like much more reasonable, much less hawkish than Netanyahu. And one of the polls that I read was that the response, the most recent response from the Israeli people regarding the kind of fire that was going back and forth, uh, the Palestinians, mm. uh, Hamas blew up somebody's home and then the Israelis retaliated and blew up a hell of a lot more Excessive. than one house. Yeah. yeah, to say the least. And the polling data was 60% of the Israelis said that Netanyahu didn't respond harsh enough. Wow. And uh, he is the harshest one yeah, they yeah, got. Yeah. So no, it Israel, seems like it's... it's right. like So when Kushner walks in this room and you're Netanyahu, it's like, what is your... What, what political leverage do we have in this country Let's not forget, for any resolution? Uh, Kushner himself is also... He's Jewish. Of course. He's a big, rich Jewish uh, businessman. Yeah. So uh, there's definitely some bias in there. Of course. It's I like mean, sending is. a Muslim guy to fix the Palestinian-Israeli situation from the White House. You know, right. of course, the Israelis are going to be like, really? Are you going to send the Well, Muslim and at guy? least, you know, even if there isn't necessarily a, a uh, we don't know the man's heart. I have to say that. But even if there isn't an internal bias, there's going to be an external bias from the Palestinians being like, dude, like, where, like we don't have any representation in this room. How can we even trust anyone here? And, and from all the things that the Trump administration has done so far with the Israeli-Palestinians, from all, uh, all taken away from the aid to all the um, Jerusalem right. and everything, does Kushner seem like the, the guy that's going to favor do any favors for the Palestinians? Right. Of course not. He, he still represents this government, and this government is extremely pro-Netanyahu. It is. How over, uh, how much... In over their head, do you think this administration is right now with foreign policy? And also, Wait. is it because, is that why we're not going into foreign conflicts? Because quite frankly, they just don't have the ability to organize something like a war. Look, in general, we've always had really terrible foreign policy uh, ideas in the in, like in the Middle of East course. and South America, everywhere. We've never been. But consistent. if you're if you're a fly on the wall, this is and Donald Trump is sitting down with Bolton and. You know, God knows uh, who else there. And they're explaining to him what's going on in the region. What are you like? What do you think Donald Trump's capability is just obviously speculating on understanding the complexity of these issues? Like, where do you think we're at as a country? Because obviously Donald Trump's been the worst president in current modern history for the entire world as right. the number one most powerful man in the world. And he's been the best thing that ever happened to China and Russia and countries like Iran. Right. Because now he's given given them leverage and popularity against his idiotic decisions. Right. So he's made us and the Western democratic countries look really bad and weak. And he's made those other bad guys 
look more legit and tough. Right. Uh, but the only good thing we can say about him and his foreign policy is at least the fact that he's not a, a, a warmonger. He's not right. into f- fighting a war. So no matter how much Bolton might be whispering in his ear, Trump is never going to go to war. Okay. He was going to get rid of NATO for God's sake. You know right. what I mean? I mean, he's he's that uh, pa- uh, passive when it comes to uh, understanding of United States standing as a superpower in the world. Right. So he's right. not going to start a conflict, but at the same time, he has no plans. He has no policies. We don't. We can't. We can't even take care of the border down there, and right. by Mexico. So you think he actually we're going to fix the Palestinian situation? Right. That's like the biggest joke I've ever heard. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the way it seems to me. Everything just seems so hollow and shallow. And as you mentioned, even when Kushner was giving his interview, it was like kind of dropping the ball on some key questions there that you would think he would know if he wanted to. I mean, yeah. you know, Jimmy Carter made a hell of a lot of mistakes uh, when it comes to trying to uh, solve the peace crisis over there or the, uh, the the crisis over there with a peace deal. And if, you know, and technically, you know, at least he was a statesman. At least he ran a, ran a state as a governor, you know. And so, like, the yeah. fact that he couldn't do that with a full cabinet, with a full, you know, group of uh, intelligent minds behind him, it's just like, I, I just don't necessarily Our Middle see East happen. intelligent mind is Kushner. Right. That's right. Quite. I mean, it says a lot. All right. Awesome. Well, just before you go, so any any speculate? What what should we look forward to here? I don't know. I was going to ask you, who do you think is going to win in twenty twenty? Oh, twenty twenty. Well, personally, I had Andrew Yang on. I got my yeah. Yang I remember game. that. I love Andrew Yang. Um, I don't know, man. I like what Elizabeth Warren is saying. Although she did, uh, I think she made a mistake not going on the Fox News thing because Kirsten Gillibrand, who I really don't like, she went on Fox News into the town hall and she looked great. Going back to what you were talking about, mm. being in front of the enemy, even though it's just a television set, they're not the real it. enemy. And Elizabeth Warren saying she doesn't want to do that. I thought she missed an opportunity, and she's sort of echoing some of the mistakes from Hillary's campaign. Um, because it's just it makes you look so good when you are going to confront people. And her whole thing where it was like, um, oh, I don't want to support that network. All of these networks are owned by the exact same corporations. Mm. So if you want to hold to that standard, then C-SPAN is the only place to go. <laughs> but I'd like Elizabeth Warren quite a bit. I think her policy ideas have been great, and she's coming with policy ideas. Um, so I would like to see her do well. You know, uh, I think Buttigieg, you know, it's it's just so strange right now because – we just have so long to go, and I'm super excited for the first debate. Um, mm. But uh, we'll see if anyone can can take a shot at the— Biden uh, took a dive in the last few days. Well, because Biden had the issue with the Hyde Amendment. Yeah. I still—my—not my perfect ticket. This is what I think could happen. I And I don't know—I've never heard anyone else say it. I just think this could be a good thing to offset what Biden lacks, which is basically being a man, being white, being establishment, voting for a lot of shitty-ass bills over the past, mm. and, of course, the most recent Hyde Amendment uh, debacle. Stacey Abrams is, like, the best. I think she is the best the Democratic Party has right now. Do you think I really they're going to beat Trump, though? I think that Biden and Abrams would beat Donald Trump. Really? I really do. Even with the economy cranking? You know— don't be surprised if this economy starts going downhill a little bit. Unemployment I mean, what, numbers came out surprisingly not not as good as we expected. Well, and time. we're seeing now with the five percent potential five percent tariff with Mexico that could be yeah. four hundred thousand jobs lost. Like this, there's a lot of bubbles popping up right in front of us, being blown up right before twenty twenty. Right. And so I wouldn't be surprised if if one or two of them pop. I mean, the student loan debt crisis alone. Yeah. You know. And Are we you scratching to, off Bernie? Man, I just twenty sixteen. I don't no, I'm not scratching them off. I would prefer if I'm going to go and vote for a progressive candidate, I want to vote for Elizabeth Warren. 
Yeah, I like I, I like I Warren like last better time than too. Bernie. I just really do. Yeah. Um, but I have no problem. I have no problem with Bernie. No, um, Warren. Warren if I'm she's going the most progressive, progressive one, and and with the plan, and yeah, and she's great. She's making a few strategic mistakes, but uh, that is that's going to happen. Keep the course. You know. Yeah. Just yeah. I think she's going to do great. I think she's going to do great in the debates. Um, and so yes, if I had to say who I'm pulling for, um, Warren and Andrew Yang. And my prediction is Biden, Abrams, and I'd never heard anyone else predict that, so I could be entirely way mm. off. But I just think that Stacey Abrams is the future of the Democratic Party. I really, really, really? do. Uh, what do you think? I, I don't. I you're more, you know more about it than I do. Yes, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't want to step on your shit. I won yeah. something, kind yeah. of, or I'm uh, completely wrong. And I'm, I'm just more into totally the grenades in Middle East and stuff. But yeah, you actually have I, real I, things I, to worry about, unlike the I cult do. of personality politics of America. <laughs> I I did like Warner last night more. I thought actually a Warner Bernie Sanders Warner. ticket. Well, yeah, there's some speculation about that, and the concern, I guess, is just like, do you alienate too many centrists and moderates, and then does that push? Does that make them have another place not to go? And then is it another election where they just stay home? And if they stay home or vote third party, then what do you have? Two smaller bases fighting it out. I don't know. But then there's also the conversation like we obviously should. What about a Warren um, uh, Biden ticket? Well, Biden will never be VP again. But maybe Warren. No, no. Picking Warren as as his psychic. Yeah, I wonder. That, That could also. I think that could also be really good. I don't know. I'm just all caught up on Stacey Abrams because I loved her response to the uh, State of the Union. She's, and she w- should have won in Georgia. Uh, the guy, Brian Kemp, who is now the you know governor over there, he, there's a reason that uh, he's passing all this ridiculously crazy anti-abortion legislation. You know, he barely won, and he shouldn't have been in the first place because he was in charge of the voter roll, mm. and he purged tens of thousands of votes. The vast majority were going to go to Stacey Abrams, so she should be governor right now of a state. And honestly, she was. She said no to running to Senate for Senate, um, or basically said no. So I don't know. I'm hoping, even if it is, you know, even if it is uh, Warren on the top of the take. I don't know. I just like Stacey Abrams, and she's not running for president. So the closest I can do is get her on as a VP um, for Sounds anyone. Good. And I, I, but I'm actually, you know, it's funny. A lot of people have been a little bit exhausted by it already, but. I think the Democratic candidates, I think the Democratic Party is actually doing really, really well. Everyone's going to coalesce under one person, whoever that might be. Mm. And, you know, as names start to drop off, maybe Elizabeth Warren does start to see an uptick, you know, or maybe maybe Bernie takes it. She's too. second right now. right? She's like she's in the middle. So we got a lot of we got about 18 people. We got about 12 people. I think she's around third. the seven, nine percent. Eight percent. Biden, Sanders, and then Warren. I think it could be that. And you know, again, the third kind of it's too early. You know, Beto. Beto, Beto is gone. Uh, he's just done a horrible job. Um, you know, but I like I like the message of Andrew Yang, and I think that they could add some of. If he doesn't go far, far. I mean, who knows? People vote. It's and, still uh, early. It's still very early. So it's really exciting, though. As you can tell, I'm I think this is going to be the most exciting election we've had in my lifetime. Yes, and if it is, if it does end up being Biden, that's one term, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and we right now, I think we just got to get this country. Just we just got to go. I, just even go if back even if it is close. Biden, we just need to get a closer, slightly to a humane to its de- principles. Principle, yeah, right. that's all. So. I understand. Who would have thought? By no means perfect. Like after Obama, you would think you would have another exciting (laughs) 
election coming up. Yeah, well, it's been exciting for sure. Um, but anyway, so yeah, we can we have to come back and and talk when it's closer to the election after we uh, yeah. after we after we whittle this down a little bit. Um, but maybe we should just do a viewing party. We should get together. Sounds good. In June and watch the first debate. Um, all right, everyone. Well, thank you all so much for listening. That is Saman Arbabi. Appreciate you checking out the thank show. Thank you, man. Thank you. Well, thank you, buddy. Um, okay, everyone. I hope you guys have a great day, great weekend, great week. Find me on Instagram at benkissel one and Saman Arbabi. S A M A N A R B A B I. Saman Arbabi on Instagram. And uh, you can see exactly what he's talking about. I have to I have to hit Google Translate, and I don't think Google Translate does a very good job. Yeah, I, sometimes I, I forget to put English uh, translations on things, but I should. Yeah, I think Google... Some of it's so complicated, I can't. it's not even worth it, but oh, I, exactly. I, I'll remind. All, r- all right, everyone, thanks for listening. Hail yourselves! This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.